Being a new parent is so tiring, literally. Our little ones are constantly disrupting your precious sleep and you are always begging them to sleep more. What is the secret to getting your little one to sleep through the night? How do you get them to take longer than 20 minute naps during the day? I'm Joanna Clark, founder of Blissful Baby Sleep Coaching, and this is Parent Savers, episode 19. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Casey Wilt. Our apps are now available in the Amazon Android Market and the iTunes App Store, and they're free, so check them out. Another way to get great parenting information is to subscribe to our Parent Savers newsletter, and it's featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes content from our show, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Visit our website, parentsavers.com, for more information. And we want you to be a part of the show, so join our discussion on our episodes page, Facebook page, call in or email with your questions, and we'll get them answered. We have Katie here from San Diego birthphotographer.com and we're taking photos this show so please excuse the clicking as you listen and watch our Facebook page to see the pictures of the behind the scenes. I am a new parent. My son Carson is now 21 months old and I'm joined here by three new parents. My name is Owen. I'm a videographer and web designer with Simple Business Video Marketing. I've got three kids. Uh, my oldest is five and just started kindergarten. I've got a 14-month-old Jameson, and my youngest is four weeks old. Awesome. My name is Benjamin. I uh, run a business in Oceanside. I have one two-month-old baby girl. I'm Jody. I'm a teacher, and high school teacher, and I have a little 19-month-old baby girl. Hello, Parent Savers. I'm Amy Sorter, ecopreneur and co-founder of ecosavvymoms.com, where you can find information for your family on going green, saving money, and looking great doing it. Today, we are going to talk about packing an eco-friendly lunchbox for children in school or even little kids going to daycare. Now, packing a lunchbox every day can mean a lot of waste. Paper bags, napkins, plastic bags, wrappers, forks, water bottles, you name it, straws and more. Send those items five days a week and your kid is definitely going to fill his own corner of the local landfill in absolutely no time. It's not hard to pack an eco-friendly lunch from home. Just follow a few easy pointers and you'll end up with less waste and probably a healthier school lunchbox as well. One thing that I like to do for my daughter is use a reusable lunchbox. I know it kind of ruins the whole brown bag lunch thing, but sending your child's lunch in a box, tote, or container is much greener than using and tossing a paper bag each day. Now another item that's important to have in there are reusable sandwich bags like reusies. I love these things. No more plastic baggies or zipper bags which also clog up a lot of our landfills. There are tons of styles, colors, and materials of these waste-free sandwich bags as well as snack size bags and many can be washed in the washing machine or dishwasher. Plastic sandwich boxes also work great. Now another thing I always put in there is a waste-free beverage bottle or container. Daily juice boxes and water bottles create a lot of unnecessary waste and don't even get me started about water bottles in our landfills as well. There are many affordable BPA-free reusable drink container choices on the market today. Cloth napkins, who knew? There's a lot to be said for saving a paper napkin a day for an entire school year. Get five and then wash them with your laundry at the end of the week. 
Better yet, I let my daughter pick out pink or purple ones at little garage sales. She loves them, and every day she's excited to see what she's going to get. Pack real silverware. Forget the plastic utensils. Plastic equals waste. Pack a real fork or spoon in their lunchbox. And I don't give my daughter the real silver, of course. I pick up random odds and ends and utensils at thrift stores and garage sales for cents, and I have my daughter put them in each day. That way, if she loses one at school, she won't be crying. Now, fresh food, of course, is so important whenever possible. Serving your kids fresh lunch items will automatically cut down on your waste. And, of course, it's healthier for your kids. There are going to be days where time only allows you to toss in something pre-made and packaged. But for the most part, make them simple foods or have them make their own. And either way, send fresh fruit and vegetables. My last important thing that I love to do with my daughter is buy locally. I buy food items produced locally and it's super eco-friendly and it means no one wasted a bunch of gas transporting your edibles all around the country before they got to your kid's lunch. For more information on packing an eco-friendly lunchbox and other parent-friendly eco-tips, visit www.ecosavvymoms.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ecosavvymoms. And don't forget to make it a green day. Today on Parent Savers, we have Joanna Clark, licensed gentle sleep coach with us here to give us the secrets on how to get our kids to sleep. So first off, can you explain why is sleep important? And let's start with the zero to six month year old. So let me just tell you a little bit about the newborn phase, which in the world of sleep science, we consider zero to five months. Okay. Uh, During this time, sleep is very... uh, is not very well organized neurologically. Um, And so they often have light slumber. They typically are experiencing very infrequent sleep Mm -hmm. cycles, but I want everyone to know that that is normal. Really, um, a child during that age, zero to five months, typically is sleeping, is awake only 60 to 90 minutes, and then the rest of the time sleeping, Mm. okay? So... Uh, How does that look? I mean, is it? So what it means is the best way to do, and I always suggest this to parents, sleep logging your children's sleep is critical. Hmm. If you start logging, you will have such an important understanding of how your day is forming up. And I often recommend to families, take a look at at their family schedule and ask themselves if they're a family that typically operates 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then to organize their day around that in a very flexible way. And what I mean is is that a family that has working fathers or mothers Mm -hmm. really do have to organize their day in Mm -hmm. order to be able to feel that they have some control (laughs) in their life. And if you start logging within this context, you're able to really clearly see for a child that they are eating and sleeping within those two 12-hour cycles. So during what I call the AM shift, the let's say 6 AM to 6 PM, and then what's also happening with my child between the PM shift, the 6 PM to 6 AM shift. And it really helps regulate what you're doing with eating and sleeping. And so when you go back to this idea that your child in this age group typically is only awake for 60 to 90 minutes at a time, you can start looking at the day, the time that your child woke up on a particular day, and then you will know that the first nap cycle will occur within 60 to 90 minutes of that waking period that day. So they just woke up at 6 a.m. from the night, and you say they're going to go back to bed at 7, 7.30? Correct. Now, how does that work for, you know, a newborn that is up every, I mean, is it the same thing? I mean, you say getting getting up from the nights where my, you know, Benjamin is 
up all the time. It's sleep for a little bit, nurse for a little bit, sleep for a little bit, nurse for a little bit. Is it the same case? Okay. So you again, going back to this concept that you're looking at your day in two cycles, you're looking at your AM, you know, 6 AM to 6 PM, and then kind of your night shift. Mm -hmm. Okay. So sleep takes on different components in each shift. That's why it's important to kind of differentiate for yourself because then you can better guide yourself on how well you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for during this, the, the AM shift or the daytime shift, um, typically children are awake between 60 to 90 minutes during zero to five months. But not at nighttime. Now at nighttime, they can do as long as stretches as about three to four hours at a time. And that's often determining with nursing, right? Or bottle feeding. And that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So the longest stretch typically is that first nighttime stretch, you know? So if your child goes to bed later, which when the child does a sleep at night at that young age, oftentimes they're asleep later, like maybe 10 o'clock at night, and they'll do sleep 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 2 o'clock around the, are you guys getting Mm -hmm. the flow? So, But is there, there's no wake up time. It's wake up at 2, feed, and then right back to sleep? And then right back to sleep. Great question. Yes. Yes. So not, not awake for an hour, 90 minutes. Not awake an hour, yes. Especially in this newborn phase, typically um, children are, or babies I should say, uh, are having business nurses in the middle of the night, okay? Which is they wake because of hunger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they nurse or bottle feed right back to sleep, and continue on to the next sleep cycle, hmm. okay? Interesting. Um, and the other thing is, is that um, babies at this age often have very, very short sleep cycles. So sometimes the waking is for hunger, and sometimes it's a partial arousal. So a partial arousal means you're switching from REM to non-REM mm-hmm. in your sleep cycle. And for a one to two month old, they are going from REM to non-REM at night, approximately every 50 minutes. And for a three to five month old, typically REM to non-REM is every 90 to 110 minutes at night. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because there's times where he, you know, wants to feed. And then there's other times where it's just like, I I don't know what's wrong with him. He's just he's just awake. And it it makes sense. Exactly. He's been kind of jolted out of his sleep. So going back to what what is expected in the zero to five month age range. So this is really interesting. Um, A one month old um, typically is doing 8.5 hours at night with nursings, okay? Uh, And um, doing seven hours of daytime sleep spread between three to five naps. And that's a series of cat naps. And these younger babies, one to two months, they might only be sleeping 20 or 30 minute increments. And that's normal um, as long as they're doing cat naps throughout the day. Again, looking at that wake cycle, that's 60 to 90 minutes. At the time that they wake up, you take a look at your watch and you say, okay, approximately 16 to 90 minutes from now, I can anticipate my child is going to be showing me sleepy cues and I'm going to be paying attention to those right. sleepy cues. And then I'm going to give my oppor- the opportunity to this child to sleep. And again, attending to the needs. You can nurse them down. You can rock them. You can take them on a stroller ride. Anything they need to encourage sleep is important. Okay, so it's all about just watching the sleepy cues at this young age and being mindful of their awake windows and providing them that opportunity to sleep when it's appropriate. At three months of age, typically they're sleeping 10 hours a night, still with nursings. So I don't consider a waking a nursing because that is important. Okay, Um, and then five hours of daytime sleep 
three to four naps a day. Again, they can be shorter naps, and that is fine as long as it's adding up to three to four hours of daytime sleep with a total of 15 hours at night. So, um, and then when we get into the four to five month age range, they are typically sleeping um, more like four hours a day, daytime sleep, and still around 10, um, 11 hours at night. And uh, right around five months, there starts to be some big developmental milestones that do disrupt sleep. So I should tell you, those of you out there that have four to five-month-old children, and if all of a sudden your sleep is falling apart, please know that it is normal to be having big sleep disruptions in the four to five-month age age range, oftentimes teething, and um, the start of developmental milestones such as rolling over. Mm. Um, children that were once swaddled that have now decided they don't like the swaddle right. anymore. Do which you is, keep swaddling? Which is which is a it. sad day because I okay. love the swaddle. Um, you know, I find that parents are often forced to make the change on the swaddle even though they love it because usually their child will start rolling mm-hmm. or their child will start busting out of their swaddle, thus requiring the parent to come in frequently to re-swaddle. So oftentimes it kind of happens to you before, to the parent before they're really ready. But that's usually an indication Mm -hmm. that the child is ready to move on. But I would, I will suggest to all of you in this four to five month age range where this does happen with the swaddling, a great next step is something called the magic sleep suit. And this is a wonderful product that is a great transition to go from a swaddle to the next step to still give them that nice kind of compression feeling that they're used to and to to move you to that next step. Yeah, that swaddle really works. I mean, that's what we do every night, really tight. I mean, Chloe doesn't like it very much at first, but she passes right out without right. waking for eight hours. Right. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And I should also say in this age range that uh, white noise is really important. Yep. And um, uh, many of you that have children this age have probably heard of Dr. Carp, and he wrote um, Happiest Baby on the Block. I love his work. I love that book. And uh, with the five S's, as many of you know, and so swaddling is one of it, and white noise. He's recently come out with a white noise CD that is specifically engineered to be the appropriate decibel level and beats to encourage sleep. I've had a lot of parents find great success with this, uh, and so I do recommend white noise absolutely, especially for these younger babies to create, you know. So also you said these quick cat naps, that's okay? Like, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, they're actually getting the proper amount of sleep? Okay, so go back and say to yourself, okay, during my daytime shift, I know that if I have a three-month-old, I want to get five hours of daytime sleep spread between three to four, maybe up to five naps. So as long as at the end of that shift, you're looking at your log because you're keeping your log and you're saying to yourself, wow, yes, my child maybe slept 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 15 minutes there, but over time, over that daytime shift, my child is getting the appropriate amount of daytime sleep, then I've done a great job that day. And again, it's being mindful of their wake windows because really they do pretty much consistently fall back asleep if you give them the right opportunity. So that's really phenomenal information when it comes to a newborn. I've got a newborn, but I've also got um, a 14-month-old and a five-year-old. So what is the importance of sleep for a six-month-old to a five-year-old, like that age range? And what should that look like? Okay. And I love the fact that you have like all, every age range that we're going to yeah, be talking right? about today. So this dad is like getting direct eye contact what's, with me. What's good sleep <laughs> for a 32-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, okay, so six months to five years, obviously that's a big age range because sure. there's a lot of developmental milestones that uh, each child is going through within that. But let me just kind of now phase into you know the fact that sleep is actually a learned skill. And this is something that I feel that I know when I became a new parent, no one ever told me, mm-hmm. and I had to kind of learn the hard way. Uh, so sleep is actually a learned skill. And um, the easiest time for a child to learn the skill of sleep, which essentially is self-regulation and self-soothing, is at bedtime at the appropriate sleep window. And what I mean by a sleep window is when melatonin, which is the hormone that regulates sleep, which is the drowsy hormone, is most present. And oftentimes what families experience is that if they don't understand the concept of a sleep window, then they often miss the most prime opportunity for them to help their child peacefully go to sleep. And what shows up next is cortisol, which is a mild form of adrenaline. And oftentimes that is when families will experience what they call like the dreaded second wind or this feeling of my child is so tired right now, but they're fighting the sleep. They're fighting it. You can be rest assured that when you have that experience, your child has now entered the cortisol phase, that you have missed your window of opportunity to help this child peacefully go into sleep. So the idea is in this six-month and onward stage is really allowing them the opportunity to self-soothe themselves to sleep and not be doing it 100% for them. So a negative sleep association is anything that needs to be done to or for a child in order for them to fall asleep. Okay. So constantly rocking them. Right. Until Dri- they fall driving asleep on in you. the car at midnight. Right. On the dryer. <laughs> yes. On the dryer. Yes. On the yeah. dryer. On the dryer. But that could even be in the, the, the glow worms. <laughs> in the dryer. Yes, or or the you know, the glow in the dark musical toy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, a negative sleep association is also called a sleep crutch. And so the most common sleep crutches <laughs> that families depend on are uh, rocking, nursing, bottle feeding, uh, you know. Uh, rhythmical toys that need to be on repeat. Um, And what I mean by that is that all those things are beautiful, wonderful things. But if you use those techniques in order to conk out your child, that's what I call it. Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to 10, if 10 is conked out, then that child will expect that same service. (laughs) Every time. Special treatment at bedtime and every partial arousal. What if you change it up? I mean, like some days you nurse him to sleep. Some Keep days he's in the yeah. Some days he's in the car. Some days daddy puts him to sleep. Some days he's on the dryer. Most days he's on the dryer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great question. Okay, here's the thing that's tricky about sleep crutches, and let me tell you, it's a sad day when one of your sleep crutches stops working. Hmm. Also, yeah. like it's a sad day when the swaddle stops working. Oftentimes, what will start happening is that sleep crutch will stop working, mm-hmm. and a new one shows up. And then a new one shows up after that. And so oftentimes families will find that in order to put their child to sleep, and I'm going to be talking specifically right now at bedtime, they will layer their sleep crutches in order for it to happen. So what a routine that used to take mm, five, ten minutes in those final moments of sleep crutching now can take 30 or 40 minutes because first you nurse them, then you got to rock them, then you got to bounce them, then you got to sing to them. Then, then, then. That is usually a sign to them that it's a great time to really consider doing some nighttime 
coaching on self-soothing and self-regulation to sleep. Let's talk about those self-soothing techniques in the next segment. When we come back, we'll talk about the three main techniques parents use in sleep coaching, as well as the four derailers of sleep for babies and young children. We'll be back shortly. We're back with Joanna Clark, founder of Blissful Baby Sleep Coaching. Now, Joanna, what are the three things that contribute to the right kind of sleep? Okay, the three things that really contribute to the right kind of sleep and really healthy sleep habits overall is this idea of having the right quality, the right amount, and the right timing of sleep. And I've referenced that in a couple of different ways in our talk already. But the right quality is this idea that it's not fragmented, it's uninterrupted and motionless. And again, we're talking about babies six months to five years old at this point. The right amount of sleep is obviously um, having the right sleep expectations for your child. So for example, with uh, this six months to five years, a six month old to 10 month old will typically sleep 11 hours at night, may still do a nursing, by the way, or feeding, um, and three hours of daytime sleep spread between two and three naps. Uh, A 10 to 18 month old typically will sleep 11 and one fourth hours at night with 2.5 hours of daytime sleep spread between two naps. And an 18-month to 2-year-old, that's when you do the big transition from two naps to one naps a day, which is often a difficult transition mm-hmm. for families. 11 hours a night with a big, nice, juicy two-hour nap during the day. Um, and then, of course, three years is when a big transition happens when babies go from cribs. Don't, don't tell me. Stop right there. Stop <laughs> to, right there. <laughs> to, to big boy or big girl beds. And they're typically taking one nap a day at 1.5 hours. And then four to five years old, they're usually doing a rest period during the day and sleeping about 11 hours at night. Now, Jameson is um, like right in there, but he's he's doing like 12 hours a night, three-hour naps, but it's it's one nap. And you said spread between two, but if he's getting that same two and a half hours in and it's just one big chunk in the in the mid-morning, is that all right? What, how old was he again? 14, okay. 14 months. Yeah, that is fine. Usually the age spread when children start to transition to one nap is anywhere between 14 and 18 months, so it's a pretty mm-hmm. big spread. Yeah. So he obviously has made that transition and he's done well because he's still giving you a big, long chunk, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the best sleep environment and routine for a sound sleep? I mean, I guess this is a twofold question, but how do we get our children to take two naps to one nap? I mean, do we need to set up a routine? Do we need to, you know, set up the environment for them? I mean, that's a big question. It is a big question. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk about sleep environment because actually lots of parents ask me about this because the first step um, is really setting up a, a really great sleeping opportunity for your child. And part of that is environment as well as timing of sleep. Um, so a best sleep environment typically has some type of white noise. Uh, you know, a fan is... Does it keep going till they're 18, two years, three <clears throat> years, 25 years? I, mean, I still like white noise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, start asking some of your adult friends. I know we. Lo- I love a fan. I mean, mm. most people love some type of white noise. As long as it's duplicable, so if you um, end up choosing like an ocean CD or... Or, or a fan and you have to travel or go new places, just make sure you can bring it with you mm-hmm. is, is, is a great recommendation. Right. I can't stand white noise. Okay, but <laughs> some people, and some people don't. Forever. So, you know, but um, it's also, well, the reason why white noise is also great is that, for example, in the household with three other children and everyone has different sleep bedtimes, it's great to be able to block out mm-hmm. external noises, both in the neighborhood and in the household, just to maximize their That's sleep. That's true. And then um, room darkening shades are often recommended. And people often say, well, how dark is dark? And I say that as dark in the morning as it is at 9 p.m. at night. Okay. So you, room darkening shades are a great investment. Like nap- as dark as you can go, basically. As dark as you can go. Because for nap too? For nap and nighttime. Absolutely. 
um, and cool environments. So 65 to 70 degrees is typically the best amount, you know, in terms of degrees. And then obviously no toys in the crib that are stimulating. Um, well, here's here's the situation I have. My mom laughs at me. You put those darkening shades on. We used to take you out and you used to sleep wherever. We just make you sleep when there's noise going on. We make you sleep through this and that. And so now I have this, you know, the no- the lullabies go, the shades are dark. And um, are my conditioning my child not to be able to sleep on the go or any of that? And also I do have, you know, a couple things next to the crib or in the crib so that when he wakes up at five in the morning screaming that he'll go book and read it. It didn't really work really well, but I still was <laughs> trying to get mm-hmm. him to actually because he didn't wake up happy. He woke up screaming. screaming. So I wanted him to wake up happy and play with something. So again, that was a big Jameson did the same thing, though, and that's why we put that little glow thing in there because he'd wake up at 2 in the morning and press the button and put himself back to sleep. And so there's a little bit of a crutch there. I see that, but it's like, you know, when you're you're working, it's like, you know, I just need him to sleep. I can't get up and... But it's a self-soothing crutch because he's pushing it. Yeah, yeah. Right. (laughs) What do you think, Joanna? I would agree with that. I mean, to me, if you had a book in a crib or something like that where the child has a partial arousal or an early rising, like your child is at 21 months, uh, that they can self-soothe themselves back to sleep um, or at least, you know, self-soothe enough to the point that you're ready to uh, address that, uh, help them that day. In my opinion, we need to honor sleep more in our society. Hmm. um, And we often don't protect our children's sleep in the way that we need to. Um, because really they operate off their body clocks and we try to force their body clocks into be something different than what is natural to them from mm-hmm. a circadian point of, you know, circadian rhythm point of view. And when we stop battling, trying to get them on our schedule, often you find that it they ease into the, into a beautiful schedule and then you ease around them. Mm. And so um, the napping on the go typically stops to work right around, um, about 10 months of age. And so a 21-month-old typically is not going to be a nap-on-the-go kind of child. A 21-month-old typically really does need to be home for that one beautiful nap a day. Like the day you go to Disneyland and stuff like that, do you really have to sacrifice the day at Disneyland to make sure your your 21-month-old gets a two-hour nap? You know what? We we were just at the the resort on our vacation, and we're at the pool, and it's like, Jameson is going to need a nap. And so... And it was that same situation, but we'd already checked out of our room. So we can't go back. I couldn't take him back to the room. So I took him, and I had to hold him like a baby, which he hated, and he fought me for 25 minutes and eventually passed out, and we enjoyed the rest of our afternoon while he took his three-hour nap at the pool. Oh, that's so nice. That wouldn't work for myself. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it took a lot of work, a lot of patience, too, because, yeah, you know, the, the, the patrons and the other vacationers are like, you know, shut your kid up, you know, da 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 And so I took him out. You know, I had to take him to where yeah. it was no other people around. Yeah, yeah, Well, exactly. I go to Disneyland, so um, I'd be right in Space Mountain or something, you know. Or I take him on and I strap him on it's the very ergo. soothing ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a nice soothing ride. Take that's him on dark. into a small world. <laughs> no, it's actually, me to sleep every you, you time. Know, he's a height requirement for that one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I would strap the my thing is I strap the ergo on trying to get him to take a nap strap him on me but his nap isn't two hours it's maybe an hour if I'm lucky um do I sacrifice that I mean do I sacrifice a day of going to have fun just so that he has his sleep uh schedule is protected um okay great question because I get that frequently uh if you are if you if you're in your household you've really established healthy sleep habits meaning you have a beautiful good night routine your child self-soothes to sleep 
your child has uninterrupted sleep at night. And I'm, I'm talking screw about it up by going to Disneyland. And I'm talking about a 21 <laughs> month old at this point. Okay. Okay. Um, and um, and pretty consistently has good naps during the week. And you have a special occasion. Absolutely, you can stretch them. The problem is, is that when a child is being stretched and stretched and stretched over and over again, and they don't have the established healthy sleep habits at night then it's harder to stretch them like that in all these, you know, series of special occasions because they're really not going to be at their best. And obviously you probably have experienced and you get that irritability, the irritability. And whining and it's like, go to sleep. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, the child is just not as adaptable. They tend to be irritable. Um, they don't tend to play independently as easily. They're really not, you know, so it's not as fun for you. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, I'm, Believe me, we all live in California. It's a beautiful place to be and go and do. Yeah. Um, and so we can do all that. But really, the idea is in your mind, in your household, is to really be honoring the sleep the majority of the time so that when you do have those special opportunities to go out and do fun things, that stretching your child is not going to be so disruptive to them mm-hmm. and also won't ruin your day because your child is irritable or having such a hard time. So, Joanna, what are the three main techniques parents can use in sleep coaching? Um, so the three main techniques are... Are, um, there's graduated, oh, excuse me, extinction, which typically parents um, hear about, also known as cried out, which is Mark Weisbleth, which is Healthy Sleep Habits is that book. There's graduated extinction, which is also known as ferberizing or timed checks. Um, and for Mar- Richard Ferber, who wrote Solve Your Child's Sleep Problems, um, is an advocate of that, obviously. And the third is fading, which is a gradual approach. Um, And the most popular person there that people typically refer to on that technique is Kim West, who wrote Good Night, Sleep Tight. I believe every parent needs to educate themselves so that they know what their choices are, so that they can make really knowledgeable, educated decisions that's going to work best for their family. And they also need to recognize that making a uh, change in sleep is a behavioral modification. And behavioral modification takes two to three weeks in order to get the results that you're looking for. So I always encourage parents to really understand that they need to make a two to three week commitment to really focusing on sleep in their household and focus on nighttime first. You cannot teach a child how to, you cannot nap coach a child if they have not learned and mastered how to go to sleep at bedtime at the appropriate sleep window and self-soothe to sleep. They'll never be able to do it during the day. That's the easiest, easiest time. And your number one goal for naps during sleep coaching is to really have them meet their daytime sleep requirements any way you can get it, even if you're using sleep crutches, and allow them to self-soothe to sleep at bedtime first. Hmm. and master that skill and then nap napping will improve sometimes often by itself which is amazing and you mentioned also talking to your spouse um, in the daytime hours of what you're going to do at 2 a.m instead of at 2 a.m going oh you yes you need to really as a family like i feel that sleep coaching is one of the first big parental decisions you have regarding parenting your child and really sitting down and asking yourself what is the right methodology for you and there's many other books too and they're all fabulous you guys and they'll all work they all work but it's a matter of consistency it's a matter of dedicating yourself to it it's a matter of being in alignment with your partner and really committing to the process um, and being very patient Okay, Um, but all the methods do work and they work well. You just have to choose what feels intuitively right to you. 
Thanks to Joanna Clark for teaching us how to have our home get more Z's. If you want more information on Joanna or sleep coaching, go to today's show on our episodes page on our website or visit blissfulbabysleepcoaching.com. Hello, Parent Savers. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shear, a clinical psychologist with a practice in San Diego. One of my specialties is working with women during pregnancy and throughout the transition to motherhood. Today's segment is on how to best handle your baby's cry. Baby's cries are designed to get us to respond. Their cry and the alarm it sets off in us is the way the attachment system works. Baby's cries are meant as an attachment signal to get you to come closer and provide safety. However, with crazy hormones, lack of sleep, and heightened emotion about this huge new responsibility, we often get dominated by our own anxiety when our baby cries. It is easy to get lost in our own fears. Some strategies for responding to your baby's cry and not reacting to your own anxieties are to try to go cognitive. By that I mean think of baby's cry as a form of communication. They are signaling that they need something. It can help to create a short menu in your mind of the three basic options on the baby menu. Is baby needing to be held, fed, or changed? Much of the time, if you go through this brief mental checklist, you will decipher the mystery of that momentary discomfort. Know that the more times you go through this process with baby, the more comfortable you will feel in combating the initial helplessness. Sometimes it will take you and baby longer to discern what the need is. However, baby's cries tend to get shorter and less intense when they have repeated experience of your responsiveness, even if you haven't actually responded to what the need is quite yet. Your consistent responsiveness builds trust, and this helps them tolerate some discomfort just a little bit better. So if your baby's cry feels like a constant panic button, just remember that baby is simply saying, I need something. Your job is to let her or him know you hear and you care. Thanks for listening to Parent Savers. I hope this short piece helps put mommy minds just a bit more at ease. And keep listening for more episodes on how to thrive as a new parent. That wraps up today's episode. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions for our expert about today's show or the topics we discussed, call our Parent Savers hotline at 619-866-4775 or send us an email through our website, parentsavers.com or our Facebook page, and we'll answer your question in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening to Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. 
it's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.